Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. Today I'm solo and I'm going to talk about how to understand food labels. This can be really a crucial step toward making informed dietary choices. And it, it sounds simple. And we'd like to think it's simple, go read a food label, but it's not. It can be really misleading sometimes and really confusing for all of us, myself included. And I'm actually talking about this very topic because one of our listeners suggested it to me. We were chatting one night. He reached out and dropped me a message about something. And he's like, hey, it would be a really helpful episode, I bet, if you talked about food labels, because somehow we started talking about uh, food. And he's right. It's something that is forever changing because sometimes the regulations change. Food labels can change from country to country when you start looking at the the macronutrient requirements and calorie requirements and things like that. So things can get super confusing. But before I dive into the topic of food labels specifically, I want to highlight a few things about food. And like everything, what you hear at Diapoint, we're not here to give you medical advice. If you have questions about anything that you hear today, please ask your doctor. Or in relation to food and labels and macronutrients and micronutrients, you can consult with a dietitian or you can ask your diabetes educator if you have diabetes. But eating a healthy and balanced diet, no doubt, is important for all of us to achieve and maintain good health. It's important to help us keep a healthy body. And if you're watching your weight, important to find a healthy weight for our body, for your body specifically, no two are alike, so that you can feel your best. A healthy and balanced diet is about eating a wide variety of foods from many different food groups, all the food groups, and in proper proportions. And by proper, I mean not excessive proportions because we live in a day and age where a lot of things are oversized. And when you go out to eat in a restaurant, one portion comes and it could sometimes feed three people or more. So you want to try to choose a variety of different foods from the main food groups to get a wide range of nutrients. Now, how many food groups are there? I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask Google, you will see, if you just type food groups, or the main food groups in Google, you'll see everything from three, maybe five, maybe seven, maybe even 12. It depends on who you ask and what school of thought that you're studying or following. But some of the main areas of foods that we consider and we talk about are fruits and vegetables, which we love so much. And if you're following me, you know that I love them, love to grow them, love to eat them, love to cook with them. Carbohydrates like potatoes, even though potatoes a vegetable, we also talk about bread, rice, pasta, and other starchy things. So potatoes are sometimes included, sometimes not, but whole grains are really a group. Legumes and pulses like beans are also an important group. And then proteins, fish, eggs, and meat. And beans are also a protein. They're really healthy for you. And dairy is considered a food group milk, yogurt, and cheese. Now, if you're intolerant, if you're lactose intolerant, or if you're avoiding dairy, there are some alternatives that you can use. And also fats and oils are a food group. 
They are important, the healthy ones. You want to avoid the ones that are not healthy for you, but different things like olive oil is is known to have a lot of health benefits. So on to the nutrients. So you might often hear people talk about macros. And before I was in this world of health and wellness and nutrition and health and lifestyle coaching, people would like very coolly refer to macros, like, hey, you get your macros, how many macros is in that? And for the longest time, the only macro that I had ever heard of was macroeconomics. And there's micronutrients as well, microeconomics. So I was like, what are these macros? Macronutrients is what your body needs in large amounts to function optimally. So that would be the basis of food, which are carbs, protein, and fat. Those are the three main macronutrients, and we really need all of them. Some schools of thoughts or some fad diets will tell you to avoid some or consume excess of some, and that may not always be the healthiest option for you. So please ask a qualified professional if you're thinking to take on a diet that's really focused on only one nutrient. These are important because they provide your body with energy and everything that you need to function on a day-to-day basis. Even your brain function, your body movement, everything. Like I said, macronutrients are carbohydrates, protein, and fat. And we need them. We need the micronutrients as well, but we tend to have these in larger amounts than the micronutrients. So hence the term macro referring to a larger amount or a large The other nutrients, they're recommended for your nutritional intake, and you need those as well. All those vitamins and minerals, you definitely need them. So again, speak with your doctor, your dietitian, have a look at what you're eating with them. If there's something that you're lacking, or sometimes even if you take some uh, blood tests and you're looking at your vitamin B or your personal iron or folic acids and different things like this, you might need a supplement. But that is for you to decide with your doctor. Don't just start taking things because your friend is doing it or because you saw it on social media. So let's take a closer look at how to decode some macro ingredients listed on labels. So the first thing you want to look at is the serving size. It's essential to understanding the recommended proportion size as the rest of the information or in relation to the rest of the information on the label. It's gotten really tricky over the last years because the size of packaging has increased. Some of the regulations have changed the way things are um, packaged. And sometimes, or not sometimes, a lot of times you'll buy something and it'll be a large size and you think that that's just one portion, but it may actually be two, three, or four. So then what happens is you end up increasing your calorie consumption and taking on more macronutrients than you thought you were. And I find this is especially true for processed foods. It's really tricky. When it comes to fat, it talks about on the label, this represents the combined amount of all types of fat in one serving. So just don't forget, not all fats are equal. Some fats are healthy and some are not. Like monounsaturated fat and polyunsaturated fats can be beneficial. Again, talk to your doctor about how much fat you need. If you're trying to lose weight and maybe you've been advised to cut back on fat, then have a chat with them about that. If someone has advised you that fat is okay for you and you're thinking to try something like a keto diet, 
you want to look at that really carefully and really closely with a qualified professional because too much fat can result in some other health challenges. Like it, it can increase your cholesterol and different things like this. So it's super important to be aware of that. But we do all need some fat. And why is that? Because our cell membranes are made up of fat. Fat is an energy reserve for our body, and it helps transport and promote the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin K, E, D, A, and a whole host of other things. So I guess it was in the 80s, it was super popular to have everything low-fat or no-fat, and people were cutting out fat. That probably wasn't the best option. Um, and now there's a lot more research around why that's that's important. So again, please ask your healthcare professionals if you're not sure that you're getting the right amount of fat or you're getting too little or too much. Going on to carbohydrates, this includes sugars, dietary fibers, and other complex carbohydrates. It's super important to differentiate between natural sugars found in fruits and added sugars that might be present in processed food especially in processed food. That in itself is a whole podcast discussion, but we'll save that for another time. And protein, it's essential for growth, repair of your cells, muscles, your body, and overall health. You want to find adequate protein content to support your dietary needs. And by protein, I don't really mean meat. I don't personally eat meat. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. Many people often think that meat is the best or primary source of protein to stay healthy, but that's not necessarily true. Um, I'm happy to say that protein can be found in a variety of foods and not just meat. Beans, fish, eggs, meat are all sources of protein that are essential for the body to grow and repair itself. And these foods are also a, have a good range of vitamins and minerals. I prefer to be as plant-based as possible, and I encourage my clients to do so. What I have found in having a, a child with type 1 diabetes is that red meat creates a lot of insulin resistance for him because his body has to first break down the fat and protein before it can get to any carbohydrates that he's eaten with that meal. Um, there's other reasons that I'm not necessarily a fan of red meat. And like I said, I just I just don't like it. I don't like the texture. I don't enjoy it. A lot of people do. And people that I coach that say they love red meat and they can't imagine life without it, I'm not telling them to not eat it and become vegan or vegetarian. But you need to make sure that you're choosing lean cuts of meat, maybe some poultry, some chicken, um, whenever possible, and incorporate some fish into your diet eggs as well. If you're if you're not vegan or vegetarian, then you can get protein from other sources. So experiment with those and, and how they work for you and how you feel. Oily fish is also really good because it's rich in omega-3s and fatty acids, which we've all, you know, know about and we've heard about. Um, you want to eat at least two portions of fish a week and including one portion of fish that's considered high in oil to get all those wholesome omegas. So it might be like a salmon or something like this. But as a start, if you're not really reaching out, I don't want to say reaching out like you're going to send a meeting with a fish, but if you're not really reaching out and eating fish, just start with something that you enjoy that is fresh and healthy. As I mentioned before, beans, peas, and lentils are naturally very low in fat, high in fiber, 
and protein. And they also have a lot of vitamins and minerals. If you're not allergic to them, nuts also have protein. They're high in fiber and unsalted or unprocessed ones make a good snack. They can still be high in fat, so eat them in moderation. So you want to be careful about that. I myself am a victim of that. And I believe once upon a time, I gained a lot of weight because I was eating so many nuts because I do love them. So how much of each of these macronutrients do you need? The answer is like a lot of health related things is it depends and it will change from person to person. It's recommended that you get maybe 45 to 65% of your calories from carbs and maybe 10 to 35% from protein and 20 to 35% from fat. However, your personal needs will change one depending on your genetic makeup, your microbiome. By microbiome, I mean your body. Your body has different needs than the person standing next to you or sitting next to you. Based on your activity level, that will change also. If you're training for a marathon, for example, you'll probably need to eat a lot more and you probably need more carbs than, say, if you weren't training for a marathon. Um, your age matters and other factors matter as well. And those are just guidelines. And also, I want to say that for women and men, the macronutrient makeup is also very different. And if someone you know, says, hey, the, these are your macros that you should follow. Let's say if you're working out with a personal trainer, then maybe if you're a woman, you want to make sure that those are specific for females and not for males, because a lot of the early studies on health and wellness and nutrition was all done on males. And not until recently, I would say in the last couple of decades, did people really start looking at this information in the context of females. Lastly. Take note of your calories listed on your label. They represent the energy content in one serving of food. Balancing calorie intake with your activity level is the key to maintaining a healthy weight and also providing you with enough energy to do what you need to get done throughout the day. Remember, understanding food labels, it empowers you to make informed choices about what you eat Take a closer look. Make your meals a healthy and delicious part of your life. I have a couple of rules when it comes to food labels, and my personal food labeling rules are less is more. The fewer ingredients, the healthier that food probably is. If I pick up something and it's got a very long list of food on it, I mean, sorry, a long list of ingredients on it, then that probably means that it's highly processed. And it's not necessarily a fresh, whole plant-based food. The ingredients should be simple. The other thing is, if I can't pronounce it, then my body probably does not know how to digest it. There's all kinds of additives and ingredients that are in processed food or preservatives making our food last longer. And if I read a label and there's something in it that I've never heard of, I might pull out my phone and look it up to see what it means, what it's, you know, what it's used for. Is it approved in one country, not another country? And we don't always have that kind of time, but as a rule of thumb, if, you know, my body doesn't know how to, how to, um, if I can't pronounce it, then my body won't be able to either. I'm just going to show you something very quickly. If you're watching the video, I'm going to share my screen super fast here. And I want to show you one 
slide from a presentation that I do about food labeling that might be helpful. All right, so hopefully you can see that. So just to look at a quick food label, I'm not even sure where this label is from, what kind of food it is. But if you see here, you'll see that this serving size was in one packet. It's 27 grams, which was 27 grams in weight, not as a measurement. In this particular container, there are seven servings. So that would be seven times 27 grams are in that entire package. The total carbohydrates of one serving, that's the total carbohydrates of 27 grams is eight. Sorry, total carbohydrates down there is eight. I was looking at calories as I was just reading down the list. So total carbohydrates equal the amount of dietary fibers, sugars, sugar alcohols, and other carbohydrates. This has one gram of fiber. So this wasn't a vegetable-based kind of um, kind of label, because usually if you're eating something that's got a lot of fruits and vegetables in it, you'll find the fibers higher. As a rule of thumb, I was taught that if something has more than five grams of fiber, you could subtract it from the total amount of carbs. And the reason for that is our body does not digest fiber and it's not absorbed. That comes out the other side. So you might subtract it, but some people that do this, for example, if you have diabetes and you're calculating carbohydrates um, to figure out how much insulin to give, some people have done this and they found it hasn't worked for them. So like we always say, everyone is different. Ask your doctor about this. Ask your dietitians about it. Ask your educators about it. It's important. And also, usually on food labels, this one didn't have any sugars, but sometimes they're natural if there's fruits and things like that, or sometimes they're added if it's a processed food. So this particular food didn't have any, but you can check to see how much sugar is on a label. And also lately with sugars, there's natural sugars, like those like I mentioned that occur in nature, in, in fruits or honey. And there's also other sugars that are put in processed food and there's sugar substitutes as well. And I always get questions like, what is the best sugar substitute? And again, I really, you know, I don't want to give anyone a license to go out and have a super high carb loaded, natural sugar laced um, meal or food. And even with our homemade granola recipe that is on our website, it has oats and the recipe online has maple syrup, which is natural. It's, it's not a lot when you look at the whole entire recipe. If you break it down per serving, it's considerably less, but a lot of people get very sensitive about um, maple syrup. And if they have diabetes and they, they avoid it altogether. And that is great because that means that you have found what works for you and that you listen to your body. I don't always suggest sugar substitutes. I suggest them if you wish to use them and you know their effects on your body and your doctor has said do this. But I don't always recommend them because they don't always work well for everyone. So it just depends on, on what you want to do. You can take any recipe out there and modify it to what works for you to cut back on the carbs and cut back on the sugar. 
But when you're reading labels, you just want to check it out and see if there's sugar in it and where the sugar came from, what kind of sugar is it, is it processed or is it not? So I hope this was helpful. And please, if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out. Again, note, it's not medical advice, but we can certainly guide you to some resources that can be helpful. And if you're in need of some healthy recipe suggestions, I have some great news. We just launched our first free online recipe ebook, and we have many more to come. So check those out. They're absolutely free. Just drop your email and it'll come straight to your inbox. And then you'll be notified of our other upcoming, um, our other upcoming ebooks. And the first one is a focus on healthy main courses. And we've also taken a lot of the guesswork out of it. And we've included the nutritional information in those. So you don't have to calculate it. Of course, be mindful. Things will vary wherever in the world you're listening from and wherever in the world you're cooking from. Some of the ingredients that you use may vary slightly. And so that will affect the macronutrients on the label. So just check that out. But watch for more of those to roll out soon. If you need supplies for your kitchen for when you're cooking, like measuring spoons or scales, we've also got those in the Diapoint shop. Just visit diapointshop.com to find our kitchen essentials section. And if you like the show, please give us a rating and a review. If you enjoy it, we'd love to hear from you. Um, We always love hearing from our listeners. And when you give us a five-star rating, that helps other people find the podcast. And that also allows us to continue to do the work that we're doing. So thank you so much for joining me for this short and sweet episode about food labels. Again, thank you to our fan who suggested that we do this discussion. And I look forward to seeing you all again very soon. Have a great day.